It's Old Timey Crimey. I am Christy. And I am Amber. And we are coming at you just before we take a little break. Which we need because my brain just broke right now and I forgot what I was doing. I actually saw her head just split in two. It was, it was really something. Then she regenerated. <laughs> so, yes, we are taking a little break just for a couple weeks. There will, will still be content on the feed. We're going to have a really short little special episode, as well as one of our old tiny crimies from over on the Patreon. One of the older ones that the patrons have heard long, long ago, and you'll get to hear now. Uh, what did we talk about today that's going to be up on the Patreon in a couple weeks? Oh, uh, we talked about all sorts of things. I have the case that I woke up and chose violence just to piss us both off. And it was successful. You did a good job. Yep, yep. <laughs> And then Christy had a lovely case about a, uh, a female siren bandit riding side saddle in her black velvet. Love it. Love it. And with the best epitaph ever. Yes. Quite <laughs> possibly the best epitaph we have ever seen to date. So uh, stay tuned later in the episode and you'll find out more about how you can sign up for the Patreon, support us, and get tons of bonus content. And get shout-outs. You get lots of shout-outs from us. You get shout-outs too, yes, you, when, whenever you, you sign up. Christy, say your name in whatever weird way you want, or uh, we can yell it or moan it, or however you want your name said on air is up to you. You, you can control us like puppets. You give the orders. <laughs> so uh, in the meantime... Let's talk about uh, a girl named Helen Moyer. Let's do it. We're going to start in Coatesville, PA, Pennsylvania. Uh, I just did a quick look at some of the history there. A little bit of history. It was uh, the home of Pennsylvania's last lynching in 1911. Oh, there you go. And also home to America's first female CEO who ran a steel company for over 20 years in the 1800s. Rock on. Yes, yes. So a little bit of bad, a little bit of good. I mean, it's good... It's good that the lynching stopped. Yeah, it's good that it stopped. It's bad that they happened at all. So Helen Moyer was actually born in Wilmington, Delaware in 1920. She was one of three children. Her father, Absalom, was an attendant at a VA neuropsychiatric hospital. He had been in the military himself, in the Navy. I'm just guessing in World War I, he was in his teens, late teens when that happened. And Helen's mother, Nellie, was president of the PTA. Absalom and Nellie were 22 and 17, respectively, when they had Helen. She had a brother, Francis, who was two years younger than her and another sibling we don't really know anything about. I'm telling you, the baby of the family is always just like, eh, don't worry about that one. It's fine. Nobody's excited anymore. The bloom has worn off this rose. The the last tiny we just recorded had the same thing. So there's five siblings, and the youngest sibling is like, oh, we don't know what happened to him at all. He just kind of wandered off one day, and I uh, haven't seen him. We assume he's he's dead. We're, we just figure he's probably was been shot and killed, like literally everyone else in his family. So in 1937, Helen was 16 years old. And as the papers rushed to tell us, she was attractive. She was a sophomore at Coatesville High School and had ambitions to be a missionary. She was walking the three miles home from school on February 11th, 1937, as she always did because her parents couldn't afford bus fare. It's about an hour walk. So she walks six miles every day to and from school. 
That is a long walk. And like we live in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania winters suck. February is a horrible time to be walking on a Pennsylvania country road. It's a horrible time to walk out to get the mail. Really? Yes, absolutely. That hour went past and another hour and she didn't appear home. Around 6 p.m. her dad kind of put up the alarm. He called the police and then he went over her normal route. He did not find Helen. What he did find was her hat, her shoes, which were torn, and school books in the road. Near the shoes was a broken headlight. There were blood stains on the road, and they were found to be human blood. A search began with the theory being that she was hit by a driver who left her either injured or dead in a ditch, but there was also the possibility of a kidnapping that they were considering. So the search was the state police, along with 100 volunteers, including Boy Scouts, who were dismissed from school for the search. Come on, boys, let's see if we can find a dead girl. <laughs> it's very Stand By Me. Yeah, or or just a kidnapped girl, though, because it, it very, like, in my head, if I would have seen that, I'd be like, okay, somebody hit her with the car, put her in the vehicle, maybe took her to back to their farm or something to try to nurse them to health or bandage them up or whatever it might be. Like, I think that's where my mind would go during this time period. Especially in the 30s. Kidnappings were just such a thing in the 30s. That's true. That's true. So maybe I would lean towards kidnapping just with what was going on. But for the most part, this is like a a community that's safe. I would almost expect it to be good intentions. Yeah, yeah. Although if you, you take somebody to your home against their will, and if she's, you know, unconscious or whatever, it's against her will... It's still kidnapping, even if it's with good intentions. <laughs> well, and it's also with the intention, not necessarily of nursing her back to health, but definitely with the intention of covering up the crime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, hospitals exist. True, true. So, so yeah, a little, there, there's a possibility of some good intentions there, but it's mostly bad. I just want to give everyone a glimmer of hope because I know how it actually ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry that uh, this glimmer is not going to be shining for very long. The theory develops a little bit more and starts to clarify when police remember that another 16-year-old girl, Jenny Watterson, had been walking home from school on that very same road eight days prior. She was picked up by a man who then attempted to sexually assault her and proceeded to knock her out. She survived, and the police wondered if maybe the assailant was looking for Jenny to take her out and had a little mistaken identity when he saw Helen because the two were similar height and weight and wore a coat that was almost identical. So they're thinking, oh, maybe he was targeting Jenny and accidentally got Helen. As the days went on and the search went on, Local contributions to a reward fund topped $1,000. An employee of a local junkyard did tell police he had seen something. A green truck. The very day Helen disappeared and on the same road, he said the driver was not really great at driving. He had bumped into a pole while turning around and actually left some of the green paint on the pole. And the junkyard employee also said that he saw what he thought was a flock of pigeons flying into the air. That was the school books. When she was hit, they flew up into the air, pages fluttering. Yeah. Yeah. 
the junkyard employee told his daughter, she told her husband, and the husband went to the police and said, hey, you need to talk to my wife's dad. So it kind of went that way, but uh, that sort of burst the dam. And so that man and his daughter actually split the reward, which would be over $20,000 today. It's a nice reward. That's pretty good, especially in the Depression. So we've got a green truck. Police start looking into all the owners of green trucks in the area. After five days, they have it narrowed down to a list of one. Alexander Thweot Meyer. Thweot. Thweot. It's T-H-W-E-A-T-T. He is owner of a green truck and a young man with a past even more terrible than his middle name. That's close. (laughs) It's close, yeah. Thweot, I did look up because I was like, that can't be right. And it is a name. It's a variant of Thwait. Thwait. It's harder to say than I thought. It's easier than Thweot, though. I feel like I'm having a stroke when I say it. (laughs) It sounds kind of like you're having a stroke, too. All right, so let's talk about Alexander Thweot Meyer. He was born in 1917, the son of a well-to-do coal dealer, O. Jackson Meyer. You're used to saying O. Jackson. (laughs) Stole my joke. (laughs) Who claimed to be descended from both Abraham Lincoln and Stonewall Jackson. I bet, I bet. Yeah, sure, absolutely, 100%. Get this man some (laughs) 23andMe stat. Alexander Meyer had several larcenies and burglaries on his record, even in his early teens, and also possibly some arson and forged checks. I only saw that in one paper, and I couldn't corroborate it, although it was supposedly quoted from a judge, so seems legit. In my attempt to find him in his younger years, I did find that in the 20s, there was an Alexander Meyer who lived in New York. He was a German man. He was the world champion rocker. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> also the inventor of the Meyer reversible jiffy bow tie and the Meyer combination aluminum sax and banjo. Because everybody needs one of those. I know I do. I, I absolutely need a combination aluminum sax and banjo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the epic ballads one could play on that. I wonder if they still make that. I'm thinking not, but go ahead and look it up. Gonna. A lovely quote from Alexander Meyer, the world champion rocker. If we all rocked five or six hours a day, maybe we would become a race of superhumans. What is wrong with Germans? Honestly. Why the obsession with the superhuman thing? (sighs) Okay, but this Alexander Meyer in Coatesville, PA, was not quite so quirky. So three years before the Helen Moyer death, Alexander Meyer, all right, I'm just going to call them Meyer and Helen now because Moyer and Meyer gets really confusing. Yeah, that was really fucking with me. I'm not going to lie. That was hard. And I'm, I'm going to hope I can get through without accidentally calling him by her name. So Meyer was 16 or 17 when he had the incelliest of incel moments. So there's these two girls, Violet Bowder, 18, and Anna Blash, 17. They were from Philly. But they were up in the area and they were picnicking near Meyer's father's farm. So he asked them if they'd go with, on a ride with him. They said no. He asked them again. They said no. He asked them again. They said no. Take a hint. The papers said that they, quote, 
resisted the advances of a moocher. Which, uh, I think that word's meaning has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. They also called him the Chester County Masher. I think it's the weirdest thing that we have, like, over 160 episodes, and only in the past, like, five has Masher kept coming up and up and up. That is really strange. Like, you would think we would run into that before. Sometime in the first hundred episodes or so, maybe? So I do not think that the combination banjo and saxophone still exists, though I will say that the mouthpiece for many of the saxophones are Meyer. Really? M-E-Y-E-R? M-E-Y-E-R, hard rubber alto saxophone mouthpiece. Seems to be a really popular thing. Frank and Edward Meyer in 1931. Different Meyer. Different Meyer, yeah. That's funny, though. That is funny, yeah. So, after all of these advances and rejections, Alexander Meyer hid his car in a thicket and ambushed the two girls, shooting them each. He was said to be a crack shot, and he aimed to, quote, crease their heads with the bullets, basically just knock them out with a glancing blow from the bullet, kind of graze them, maybe. He was using a 22 caliber target pistol. Viola later said, I looked around and as I did so, I heard another shot and saw Anna pitch forward. Then something hit me and everything went black. Meyer was dragging the girls into the woods when a car approached and scared him off. Or there's another version where Viola woke up while he was dragging them and screamed, drawing attention that then scared him off. Then he went to a neighbor and told them, quote, two girls were shot down the road. He did not add, by me. Oh, two girls got shot in the head. Sorry about that, man. Go get him. Yeah, I don't know anything else about that. Can't help you. Both of the girls did survive. Viola was in the hospital three weeks with a bullet wound to the scalp, and it was said she had a wound at the base of her brain. Anna received minor injuries, a graze to the left temple, and was in the hospital for a week or two. They identified... Meyer as their attacker, and he was arrested while swimming with friends and family in a pool in Reading. When the police took him to the crime scene, he confessed. So it does work sometimes. Did they threaten to make him do the reenactment? There, I'm going to be in the truck and I'm going to shoot at you. <laughs> there is a, the idea of a reenactment floated, not of this one, but of another one. But they might have made him do the reenactment. So He's probably like, I don't trust your aim, so I'll just go ahead and tell you what happened. Yeah. He spent six months in the county jail, then pled guilty to felonious assault and battery with intent to kill, and was sentenced to an indefinite term in a reformatory. A psychiatrist checked him out and said he was of sound mind. I disagree. In the reformatory, he did pretty well. He had three minor infractions in his time there, according to the superintendent. He was released September 1936 at age 19 after 20 months. The reformatory had what the superintendent called a perfect parole plan. I have some news for you about your use of the word perfect, Mr. Superintendent. Yep. They said, well, he's got a good home, his dad's financially sound, and he was going to be sponsored by the Child Guidance Clinic of Philadelphia, and he had a job waiting for him. Basically, was going to be going and working on a farm. The reformatory gave the Child Guidance Clinic 
a report that said, quote, We have found him friendly and amenable to discipline, but somewhat effeminate in disposition. And throughout the past 20 months, he has had no difficulties with his instructors or the school group. So he's really good at playing nice when he needs to. The psychiatrist at the reformatory did see through some of his bullshit. He said that Meyer had, quote, a sadistic turn of mind and an inferiority complex. So another aspect of his release was the recommendation, not requirement, that he see a psychiatrist weekly. And the Meyer family did actually get a psychiatrist for him. He was going to sessions, I guess. And then we're back to February 1937, when Helen disappeared and the police were looking for green trucks. And they find Meyer. So the first thing they do is they go and check out the truck. Had a broken headlight. What do you know? Part of a broken headlight was found at the scene. He was out delivering milk when they came to arrest him. Only took about 20 minutes of questioning before he cracked. Except he told, he told them version one of his story. He had several versions. Which, yeah, the, a lot of these versions leave out a lot that uh, doesn't look good for him. He said it was an accident. He hit Helen and then freaked out, loaded her up into the car, drove her to an old deserted farm adjoining his parents' farm, about 16 miles from where he'd hit her. He dropped the body into a well to hide it. Then the next day, he was nervous about maybe it being discovered, so he went back and dynamited the well to hide the body. So he leads them to the well. It's been 11 days of searching. And finally, the body is found in the well under 18 inches of water with rock and dirt that had been blown into it via two sticks of dynamite, as he said. And he's at the scene. He leads them to the well, and then they go in to, to find her. And the newspaper said, quote, He showed little emotion until the attitude of the growing crowd became hostile. Then he became jittery and was taken away. Well, yes, a young girl's body is lying in this well. I can't blame them for turning hostile. I, I want to note that when they found the body, the body was, was nude. And the, they actually asked him about that. They're like, if you just hit her with your car and then got scared and dropped her in the well, what happened to her clothes? And did you see that article? I didn't. What did he say? He, he said that when he hit her with the car, her clothes just all flew off. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. As that, that happens. That's how that works. Yeah. The impact of the car was so great that my license plates caught her clothing and completely ripped it from her body. The body was left practically nude. The girl was lying there with only her stockings on. I had gotten out and picked her up and put her in the cab of my truck. I picked up her coat and dress and undergarment ripped from her. So both the, the coat, the dress, and the undergarment, which was probably a slip, maybe a bra, all of that just ripped off her body. Just, just ripped whoosh. right off with the license plate. I was so excited I forgot to pick up her shoes and hat and books you later found there. I turned the car around, backed into a pole, and was going to take the girl to the Coatesville Hospital... When I thought I had better feel her pulse, I did. There was no pulse. And that's when he supposedly... He hit her with the car with such great force that her clothes just ripped right from her body. That is one of the more ridiculous stories I have heard from a murderer. Yeah, I thought so too. That's why I, I took the whole article because I was just <laughs> like, I need to see this 
to verify that I'm not like sleep deprived. <laughs> this wasn't this, some fever dream. This actually was said <laughs> and printed in the paper of him giving an interview and saying her clothes just fell right off. What a jackass. Crazy. I really, really dislike him. So after they found the body, about 5,000 people trekked out to the abandoned farm to watch as workmen went into the well to recover what they could. They were looking for Helen's leg. And uh, so here's the, the coroner's report. The coroner said she was unconscious for four to five hours prior to her actual death. She had a deep gash in her head, a fractured skull, a fractured nose, a fractured leg, and a dislocated jaw. Water in the lungs, a pint in each, which indicated drowning and that she was still alive, but unconscious when tossed in the well. There was a mark around her neck that could have been caused by a cord. Her left leg was dismembered below the knee. They were pretty sure the dynamiting was responsible for that. She had blood stains on her head and chest. And he also said, quote, there was every indication Helen Moyer was ravished prior to her death. And the cause of actual death was ruptured liver and shock from the drowning. This broke my heart. Her parents couldn't bear to do the identification. So her brother, Francis, 14, did the official ID of the body. That's awful. That's absolutely terrible. So Meyer is arrested and held without bail. After they found the body, then he changed his tune and said, okay, yeah, I hit her on purpose. I'd been looking for a girl. I'd been planning this for weeks. When I set out that day in my truck, it was with the sole purpose of running down any girl with the intent of sexually assaulting her later. Uh, here we have some from his, uh, his statements. Quote, I left my father's dairy farm in the green truck I used to deliver milk. I started out for the purpose of finding some girl, any girl, running her down with the truck and then carrying her away and assaulting her. I drove around for some time and several times I saw girls I wanted. But there was always somebody else around, somebody in a car or a truck or just walking along. Finally, I saw the Moyer girl. There was nobody in sight. When my truck was 40 feet from her, I still had not made up my mind whether to hit her or not. I thought maybe I could hit her, knock her down, and then knock her unconscious. So I got the truck up to about 45 miles per hour and deliberately drove into her. He said he didn't really have any particular plan in mind, just maybe taking her to some woods he did state that when he hit her, it was to knock her out so he could sexually assault her. That sole purpose. He said, quote, I got out, picked her up, and put her in the truck. I thought she was dead. Then he checked for a pulse. And then he actually thought about going home and telling his father he decided against it. But he did head in that direction to the abandoned farm. Then I started out for the farmhouse. Nobody lives in the house, and it's a sort of empty, ramshackle place. I took the girl in there and attacked her. So note the order of events. He takes her pulse, finds no pulse, or at least he says, and then takes her to an abandoned farm and sexually assaults her. Yeah, he said that she was still warm, but getting colder. That's horrifying. That's, he's gross. He's very, very gross. Middle name should be gross instead of Thweot. No, Thweot is pretty gross. It is pretty gross, yeah. We could make Thweot like a terrible thing. Well, it already sounds a lot like twat. There you go. That's part of what it is. Yeah. 
That's part of what it is. Like twat with a speech impediment. Yeah. So he said he tossed her down the well, which was about 50 feet deep with three feet of water at the bottom. Then he went out, had a nice time, went home and slept. And then the next day, did some work on the truck, not fixing the headlight. (laughs) Dumbass. And then he did the dynamiting because he'd been concerned. He also admitted to them that he was the one who attacked Jenny Watterson. They later got him to admit that he also, in that same time frame, had tried to lure a girl named Laura Edwards into his truck with $5. The grand jury convenes to decide whether to uh, indict him, and they are out three minutes. Three minutes. They're like, yes, please. So he is charged with first-degree murder, and they added to their verdict, quote, condemnation of the parole system, which permits convicts of the Meyer type to be at large. Meyer pleads guilty. The arraignment is, we see this so often, just a few hours before Helen's funeral. With the court systems moving so much more quickly back then, I think that's why we saw that. I mean, nowadays, somebody might not be arraigned For years. I mean, I guess they might not go to court for the actual trial. Arraignment does have to happen. They have to be, you know, within a certain amount of time. But it takes a while. Uh, The crowd, there is a crowd waiting at the court. They're not yelling or anything. They just stare silently at him as he's taken in and out. Which is almost more powerful than yelling. Actually, I'll say it is. It's more powerful than yelling. Yeah, well... When when you said that he did admit to trying to abduct or attack other girls, one of the girls that he admitted that he almost went after was only six. What? I didn't even see that. So that was in um, that was from Mara Bobson in the New York Daily News saying that one of the girls was just six years old that he was willing <sighs> to try to knock out and rape. That's horrifying. Yeah, like this guy is mentally just wrecked yeah there's there's a lot going on where he he doesn't care about pedophilia he doesn't care about assault he's he doesn't care about necrophilia yeah none of it none of it and he has this very specific order of events where you know he is trying to knock a girl out to rape her and whether it's with a gun but that didn't work so well the first time and plus, there were two girls there, so we learned from that. But it's it's been consistent through his you know active period that this has been his go to. This is this is his sick fantasy. Mm-hmm. Is he wants a girl who is unconscious, and if he has to be violent to get her there, then all the better. Well, I think that goes back to them describing him as being like a feminine. So maybe he feels that the only way for him to have any power is if he's the only one. With power. So when you're yeah. unconscious, you have no power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that sounds about right. <sighs> so um, there are said to be about 5,000 people uh, who come see Helen at her viewing. And for the actual funeral, three of her high school classmates and three of her Sunday school classmates were the pallbearers. It always destroys me. To see the the look on the the kids' faces, these teenagers' faces when they're carrying a coffin, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to see. Her entire class was named honorary pallbearers. 
which is sweet. That is sweet. Well, because, and you have to think, too, like, I saw an article that referred to the other two girls that were attacked in the days before Helen. Um, they were all friends. Mm -hmm. And part of me is just like, why weren't you walking together? Well, I don't know why Jenny was out alone that first time when, when he attacked her. Maybe Helen had something going on at school, some sort of extracurricular. or Had to stay 20 minutes late. Yeah, go to church. Who knows? Um, and then Jenny wasn't with Helen because Jenny was still recovering. Yeah. So she probably wasn't even going to school. So if not for the fact that he attacked Jenny and left her unable to accompany Helen, Helen might not have been a, a target. Yeah. Because if they had been together, he'd have been like, no, that didn't go so well the last time. I need to make sure there's only one. Yeah, just one. The community collected funds to help the family pay for the burial because her father, working at the, the VA neuropsychiatric hospital, he only made $60 a month, which is 1200 today. And uh, meanwhile, Alexander Meyer is mad at the press coverage because he thinks it portrays him as just an animal stalking its prey. Quote, they've been trying to say I don't have amusements like other boys. I did. I often went into Philadelphia to shows and to parties like other boys. I was always shy. But that afternoon with the girl, I can't get the picture out of my mind. Ew. Well, he says it in a, in a it keeps me up at night, it disturbs me, it upsets me, I regret it kind of Did way. Did he? Did he? But the phrasing is terrible. And they also include exclamation points, which makes it even worse. Because then it's like, but that afternoon with the girl, I can't get the picture out of my mind. And it's horrible. It's just bad. Yeah. It's, I, it's a I'm big fat no for me. The way that's worded is very much like I masturbate to the mental images of me doing this every day. It really is. Yeah, that's... Oh, ah. So speaking of press, some of the adjectives used to describe him in the papers. Stocky, broad-shouldered, husky, moon-faced. Now there's going to be an inquest and he's not to attend that as the locals are pretty riled up about his admitted actions and quote... Police authorities are using every power in their command to protect the prisoner from bodily harm in three communities enraged by his crime. That's from the Lancaster New Era. They do want to do a reenactment, but with the community so up in arms, it's just too dangerous. So dangerous that the police set up machine guns at the windows and doors of the jail and are ready with tear gas bombs as well. This jail is like a fortress just to protect this bastard. My, my brain broke for a second because you were like, that was dangerous. So much so that they set up machine guns and I stopped listening and I was like, because machine guns are so much less dangerous. <laughs> no, they're talking about anybody who might try to uh, try to get some mob justice. Well, this is definitely a good one for mob justice, in my opinion. Honestly, I'm with you on that. I mean, I'm, I'm not for vigilante justice, but... Jeez. He Jeez. has shot two girls in the head. Mm -hmm. Then he has attacked several others. We don't even know how many others, several. And then hit Helen with a car to knock her out so that he could rape her. Admitted that this is why he was doing these things. Like, this is a, a good one for mob justice. <laughs> this is a good one. Well, the, the mob agreed with you, but Helen's mother did not. 
She's the first to try to quell any discussions. Well, she's the head of the PTA. I'd still be out there with a Molotov cocktail ready to (laughs) fucking go. Everybody has different personalities. All right, so here's what she said. Some of the men around here wanted to go over and mob him, said Mrs. Moore, with tears of grief streaming down her face. But I said that they must not do that and that it would only lead to further trouble, and somebody else would be arrested and have to stand trial and be made to suffer as we have suffered. My Helen was a good girl, and she suffered a lot. I do not want anyone else to suffer. She just wanted peace. And And I want to watch the world burn, so we're all different. (laughs) As for Meyer's father, what does he say about his son and his son's terrible deed? We believe we did what we could for the boy. It's clearly a mental case. The whole family is in terrible shape from the shock of the thing, and I know you'll excuse me from talking about it anymore. He's he's like, well, we did what we could, and I'm like, yeah. Could have not let him go out around in his truck. But he was, like, delivering milk and stuff. So, like, I think his dad really thought he was trying to do right by him by keeping him busy and having him work at the farm and do all these things and, like... Have him do something else. There's lots of work to be done on a dairy farm. Plenty of work to be done. He probably he had no idea, He doesn't have to be the though. delivery boy. Yeah, he probably really didn't have just, any idea. Just keep him close to home, you know? Yeah. The girls aren't safe when he's out running the roads. Well, Clearly. Hindsight 2020, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But I think it, I think especially so soon. I mean, he had been just been paroled in September. It's only but been he, like... he did such an amazing acting job while he was true. there that his dad is probably like, oh, well, he's reformed. He went to the reformatory and now he's reformed. I think his parents were very surprised by this. It did, it did shock them quite a bit because they were like, I, I thought he was okay. <laughs> Yeah, like, we thought this was all behind us, and he was a good kid now, and and everything was going to be honky-dory. Still, just erring on the side of caution would be be helpful. Yeah. So, by April, Meyer has lost 20 pounds, and he says it's not from being in jail, but, quote, from worry over this experience with the girl. I think about it every night, and I can't sleep. Some nights I sleep, but other nights I never close my eyes the whole night. I'll be glad when this is all over. I hope she was haunting his ass. <laughs> I hope so, too. Except that I also want her to have peace. He was also requesting a professional photographer to come and get pictures of him, but make sure that the cell and the bars didn't show, because he wanted it for his family to remember him by. He was called a model prisoner, and the guards all liked him. Yeah, because he's really good at faking it. Yeah, that's true, yeah. The district attorney said that any attempt at an insanity plea would be vigorously fought, but it was still up in the air whether they'd try for the death sentence. A deputy told the reporters that Meyer expected a prison sentence. He didn't expect to go to the electric chair. His lawyer said he doesn't seem to recognize the trouble he's in. The fear of the electric chair doesn't seem to bother him at all. There is a lot of discussion about that whole parole thing. Like, how is he paroled when he's a a danger? And this is just, this was something, okay? This was something. So the, the Lancaster Sunday News had an editorial lamenting the current state of laws. Because this could never have happened 200 years ago. When, quote, under the stern Pennsylvania statutes at large, the crime of rape was punished with 31 lashes and seven years in jail. A second offense brought in addition to the penalty of castration and branding of a capital letter R on the criminal's forehead. 
Not true at all. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think that ever happened. <laughs> did not. I did some digging because it sounded a little off to me. And the statutes at large said that those who commit rape, like highway robbery and sodomy, quote, should suffer as felons according to the manner, form, and directions of the laws of that part of Great Britain called England in the like cases. So, yeah, 200 years ago in the 1700s, we were still using British laws because we were a colony. Pennsylvania, we were a colony. And so they used the British laws, which just put them to death. But according to this guy in the Lancaster Sunday News, we should go back to the days when burning witches was prevalent to prevent violence against women. Yeah, just burn them all and then you can't be violent against them. Exactly. Which, by the way... Problem solved. The section deeming execution as punishment for witchcraft is on the literal next page from the murder statute. Of course. Of course. Yeah. But this guy didn't read that because he has it all wrong. As... Most people do, yeah. Yeah. Hey, old-timey, crimey fans. If you're enjoying this story, you'll love what we've got going on over on the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, where we give our beloved patrons five bonus episodes every month for just $5 a month. There you'll find content like our series on the Aurora Murderers, when a still-to-this-day unknown killer roamed the streets of Aurora, Illinois, bludgeoning women in churchyards and cemeteries. As well as our weekly bonus episodes where we talk about stuff like the Halloween lesbian murder and London's all-female gang, the 40 Elephants. And then there's our monthly extra extras where we each bring a case the other hasn't heard of yet. With a theme like murder ballads, murders involving weapons from Clue, or Amber's favorite, so come on over to patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey for over 150 bonus episodes and new ones coming every week. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Do it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the district attorney finally does decide to go for the death penalty. And then the two sides are battling it out for whether there's going to be an execution or not. We have the usual dueling experts, although for once we actually learn what, uh, what they got paid. Two alienists who testified for the prosecution were paid $600 each. That's $12,000 each today. That's, uh, I mean, you examine the kid, you go to court for a couple hours. That's I, a nice haul. I, I will say, so I used to work in and with the legal system and um, like depositions and, and court reporting and things like that. And we would have doctor's depositions where the doctor hasn't even examined anybody involved in the case. So it's just like a, a, an impartial opinion. And they would just be given facts and then ask their opinion. And they would get paid a pretty penny to do this and it was only an hour of their time and they'd get a couple thousand dollars mm -hmm. and like so this is still today like if you get involved just for your opinion you're getting some buku bank oh yeah the the expert witness racket is is quite a racket mm -hmm. people will just make up entire fields of forensic science just for the purpose of making a whole bunch of money on the witness stand maybe that's what we should do let's just go start testifying Absolutely. I'm for it. I'll be an expert witness. What you got? <laughs> I'm an expert. I'll get me a nice power suit with a short skirt. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
some sensible heels. <laughs> Let's just go be expert witnesses, even when they didn't even ask for us. Just like show up and just be like, up. I'm your expert witness today. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of a surprise to the defense, but you know, surprise witnesses. That's a thing. It's going to be a surprise <laughs> to everybody. What are you an expert in? Everything. Put me on the stand. I know all. So they get their money. Meyer's attorney says there's no insanity there, but he is trying to depict his client as having an intellectual disability. He does use the R word, just a word that I refuse to say, and says that Meyer is, quote, insensible to pain, physical or mental, end quote, which I think is really just a shitty dehumanizing take on, on disabilities. Well, and it also makes me want to stab him just to see if he feels it. Which is why I think it's not a winning argument for why we shouldn't kill someone. <laughs> like, if they... He's not going to feel it. Yeah, if they supposedly can't feel pain, uh, maybe, you know? <laughs> so this will just be like a normal day. <laughs> if he can't feel it, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're telling me. And he won't even suffer any mental pain from the idea that, you know, the execution is coming because he isn't sensible to pain, physical yeah, or mental. That would lean me more towards the death penalty because I'm like, yeah. oh, this is fine then. He's not going to notice. So his, his lawyer is not really doing a bang-up job here of convincing anyone uh, Meyer's father actually testified that his son had been burned around the legs by a dynamite explosion years ago as part of proof of this. Quote, from my experience, I knew the best thing to do was clean out the burns. I took a brush and hot water and scrubbed his legs hard. He did not complain or shed a tear. Okay, Mr. Meyer, we're going to introduce you to the concept of shock, which one might have after being blown in the legs with dynamite. Also, also... Why was he playing with dynamite? Yeah. How many years ago was this? And, and why do you have so much dynamite? <laughs> because he got the dynamite that he used at the well from oh, his father. Yeah. Out of his dad's car or something. Yeah. just People just carrying dynamite around in their cars. I mean, I know it, you have to light it and everything, but it just seems like not a great yeah, idea. It, if it were socially acceptable, I totally would. Yeah, I know. But I would also probably blow up my own vehicle I, just because I know me, and I've left a, a can of soda in my vehicle uh, in the summertime, and I don't know if you know this, but soda will explode either hot or cold. <laughs> either either side of that spectrum, you will have a fucking Coca-Cola bomb that goes off in your vehicle. And so I feel like if I left dynamite in my trunk, it would do the, the very same thing, but with much more damage than a can of Coke. Yeah, yeah, we probably shouldn't have you any dynamite in your car. But if it were socially acceptable, I totally would. <laughs> it's, I don't think it's the, the fear of, you know, being a social pariah that is stopping you from you're carrying right. the dynamite. It used to be way easier to get. Yeah. I really don't think that you're that worried about what people think that you're like, well, I can't carry dynamite in my car. People will think I'm insane. That's true, because <laughs> I don't give a shit, and people think that anyway. Yeah. Like, we were just talking about having a friend of mine go to my high school reunion, uh, our, our friend, friend of the show, Joel, who is uh, about my height, covered in tattoos, and, and we're going to have Joel maybe go to my high school reunion as me. And I honestly think most of the people that I went to high school with would believe it. Well, yeah, because they believed that you killed your brother. They did. I started, I started a rumor. <laughs> I love it that you started a rumor about yourself. I know, and they believed it. It's amazing. 
Like I moved away. I didn't tell anyone that I moved away. I started a rumor that I had murdered my own brother and got sent to prison. This was like sophomore year of high school. So I was about Helen's age. And uh, then I moved to Florida. And then we moved back several months later. And I had to go back to the high school that I had started this rumor in. And everybody was like shocked, shocked. But at, my brother Adam had never been more popular because everybody in his class is like running up to him and like emotional and hugging him like, oh my God, you're alive. He's back from the dead. Yeah, because this was before social media, really. So uh, you could do things like that and people would just believe you. Goddamn Facebook. You can't fake your brother's murder anymore. I mean, I still could, I bet. You would find a way. I would just, I would hack his account. I, I, I would put money that I can bet his, like, bust his password and just, like, put up, like, an RIP post or some shit. <laughs> we should not be giving you ideas. I might do it just to be an asshole because he's on vacation this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So it's the judge who's going to decide, uh, the, or actually two judges who are deciding the penalty here, and it ends up being the death penalty. Yes, in this case, very much yes. They call Meyer, quote, an habitual criminal. And then they say, this defendant is doubtless a psychopathic inferior, but that fact, without more, does not excuse him. It may constitute, to some extent, an explanation of his conduct rather than an excuse. He has definite criminal tendencies. It is possible and probable that he will commit crime and sex crimes again. So the Moyers actually aren't able to go to court for the sentencing of their daughter's murderer. Mrs. Moyer said she felt the need to just go on with, with her work. She couldn't let herself sit down and think or else she'd just break down. So Mr. Moyer's brother and sister-in-law went in their stead and then brought home the news. That brother was Wilson Moyer and he said, quote, I think the verdict was perfectly all right. And their family is also suing the Meyer family for $50,000, which will be $1 million today. The suit alleges that his parents were negligent because, quote, they knew their son's vicious tendencies and still permitted him to roam about the country in automobiles. I tried to find any resolution on that, and I didn't. Did I didn't even it? see anything about it, so okay. I'm assuming that probably just settled out of court. Probably, yeah. His attorney... Meyer's attorney sends a plea for commutation to a life sentence to the Board of Pardons. Here we learn that the execution date can't be set until 45 days after sentencing in that time and place. That's how much time is allotted for appeals. So you get 45 days, you get a month and a half. Jam them in if you, yeah, smoke them if you got them. You got 45 <laughs> days, let's go. Yeah. So that'll be May 27th. His pardon plea is set to be heard on June 16th. Two days after the waiting period has ended, the governor sets the date for July 12th for his execution. So the express train to hell is really speeding along nicely here. Yeah. Then the pardon plea is rejected, which has to be an especially tough hit because the pardon board did simultaneously give out two other decisions offering temporary clemency to two other convicted murderers, both of whom also killed women. So. They're like, you and you, we'll give you a little bit more time while we kind of sit and think about it. You go die. <laughs> See, I feel like this is different, though, because this wasn't just murder. Like, it wasn't just murder, and he had been attacking people and amping up and, and 
He was definitely escalating, yeah. And it was a compulsion. Yes, yes, it was absolutely, it was a compulsion, yeah. He couldn't, I'm not going to say he couldn't help himself, but this was just like the thing that he needed to do or yeah, that he I felt need he needed to do. To do. This. Yeah. I, I need to do this. I need to get them unconscious. I need to, to rape them. I need to do this like over and over and over again. And it was only going to keep going. Like mm-hmm. he could play nice in prison for another couple of years and get paroled and then he would immediately go do it again. I have no doubt in my mind. It was inevitable. Yeah. There were, there were some who said that one way or the other, whether he had spent more time in the reformatory or not, he was eventually going to be charged with murder because mm-hmm. he, this was something he was going to do. He was going to kill a girl. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't know much about the other two murderers. They just had little brief descriptions in there, but there's, they only got temporary clemency. They didn't get, you know, commutations of their sentences. It's just like, yeah, well, we'll think about it, you know? We'll review. Yeah. So he's set to go to the electric chair on July 12th, and still he's said to be eating and sleeping just fine. He's calm. He reads magazines. He listens to the radio. All things that Helen is no longer able to do. But as the date approaches, he does seem to get a little bit more nervous. Not to the, you know, some of the extremes that we've seen, but he just seems kind of like antsy. He doesn't get any special meal for his last meal. He just eats the normal prison fare, which was bean soup, sliced cheese, pie, and coffee. When taken to the execution chamber, he was said to be, quote, a shuffling, quivering, and decidedly nervous youth. He was 19 years old. All the papers reported he was 20, but his 20th birthday would be the following month. Yeah, they kept changing ages in here. Yeah. He requests a cremation and is the seventh person to go to his death in that particular electric chair that year. The executioner received $150 and traveling expenses. Multiply by two and add a zero in this year. 3,000. So 3,000. This is called uh, the closing chapter of a crime which aroused the citizenry of Chester County, and I would like to please ask that they not use that word. (laughs) Please don't use that word. I have a couple other little tidbits, um, only like tangentially related. Do you have anything else on the the Meyer Moyer case? Meyer Moyer, yeah. So uh, actually, Meyer had no visitors the day before his execution, and he made no statements and wrote no letters. Wow. Which is really strange because a lot of the times they, they do have at least something, some visitor, some letter, nada. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, there's the chaplain. Did the chaplain come visit him at all? See, the prison chaplain did. Um, but no family or anything like that? No, it said Meyer died as he recited the 23rd Psalm, repeating it after the Reverend C.F. Lauer. Um, they had reached the last amen when the switch was pulled that went, that sent 20,000 volts through his body. So he was reading the Bible as he went. I'm kind of surprised that his family didn't come visit him, but sometimes that can be at their own request. Like that's. They might've wanted to just write him off at that point. And also like, you know, that was part of why he said he wanted a photographer so his family could remember him and he might've been like, eh, which I don't know if the photographer thing ever happened or not, but so two other little tidbits. The following year after Helen's death, 
another girl was hit by a car in almost that exact same spot. But that one, it was a hit and run, but it was said to be an accident. That one was legitimately an accident. Yeah. And then in Coatesville, six years after Helen's death, there was a man going around just hitting women with cars. He managed to rack up quite the count. He hit six women total. And two died. One was maimed. Wow. Because he would also, sometimes he would hit them and then get out of the car and beat them. Jesus. Yeah. So it's a, just this weird thing that in this Happened area. In Coatesville. Yeah. Like car on person violence was oddly common. I, I did, don't know. I did see that, um, that Helen's parents had gotten the hell out of Coatesville. Mm-hmm. Because they did end up um, moving to Virginia and they were both buried down in Virginia. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I don't know when they moved. That was all like just done whenever, maybe whenever they settled out of court, they took that money and ran. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they actually, and they lived a really long time. So Helen's father died in 1987 and her mother in 1996. Wow. So they had a long life. Yeah, they did. They lived to their, their 80s and 90s. Yeah, somewhere in there. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Um, I actually have a couple recipes because I was curious if this was a common thing back in the day, but it seems like the same title could be given to a couple different varieties of this dish. Okay. All right. So I found snappy salad. Okay. Neither of these sound good. So this first is crisp celery, Florida grapefruit, nippy cheese, French dressing, lettuce, or other greens. Stuff the celery stalks with the nippy cheese. I'd add finely chopped pimento to it if desired. Slice stalks into half-inch sections. Place in center of lettuce-covered salad plate. Surround with the segments of peeled Florida grapefruit. Serve with a tart French dressing made by placing one and a half to three, two tablespoons of lemon juice, uh, some mazzola, an oil, Half teaspoon salt, paprika, sugar in a wide mouth bottle or jar uh, until oil and lemon, lemon juice blend. So you've got this French dressing that is very different from what we make. It's more like a, it's like a lemon dressing, lemon juice and oil. But just this, like, what are we eating with the dressing? What are we doing with the grapefruit? What's the grapefruit doing here? Being disgusting as grapefruit does. <laughs> well... Yes, because grapefruit tries to kill you. Of course you think it's disgusting. That's only normal. Although, cinnamon tries to kill me and I still want a goddamn cinnamon roll so bad. So, I was like, okay, I'm going to look in the, that same time period and see if snappy salad was also a thing. And got a completely different recipe. The only thing it has in common is it has um, celery and lettuce. So in this, you have seedless raisins, uh, diced cooked beets, thinly sliced celery, shredded lettuce, salt, relish, horseradish, and mayonnaise. Rinse raisins in hot water. Why? Why? Drain and cool. Combine with beets, celery, lettuce, salt, pickle relish, and horseradish. Add sufficient mayonnaise to blend and toss together lightly. Mayonnaise and raisins and beets and horseradish? Why are these things together? Well, I think I figured out what that ingredient is in your French dressing recipe. Oh, the mazzola? I'm certain it's an oil of some kind because the end of the recipe is shake vigorously until oil and lemon juice blend. 
So it seems to me that the French dressings nowadays are made with olive oil and like ketchup or tomato puree. And that's where that red color and some extra tang comes from. Mm -hmm. So it might be some sort of tomato oil. I'm thinking it was like a combination of the two things. Okay. How do you spell it? M-A-Z-O-L-A. And it's just mazzola. Oh, that's that's corn oil. Oh, corn oil. Okay. All right. Gotcha. They still sell that shit at the grocery store. I was gonna say I, that it's the, the brand sounded familiar, but it's lowercase and it just says Mazzola. It doesn't say Mazzola oil. It doesn't say corn. Or it, does, it just just says yeah. So it's Mazzola. just corn oil. So so yeah, those are my two weird snappy salad dressings. One with uh, grapefruit and disgusting celery, and one with uh, raisins and beets and celery and relish and horseradish and mayonnaise. I would eat that. Maybe I'll make that for you sometime. I, I just it's... made beet salad last week. So I, I love beets. They smell like feet, <laughs> but they're really, really yummy. And so I, I call it my feet salad day because it's beets, blue cheese, burgers, and Battlestar Galactica. No. Um, <laughs> but it was. It was burgers, beets, blue cheese because, I mean, beets are delicious, guys. You yeah. didn't know. Yeah. But it will stain all of your shit red. It looked like I murdered somebody. Because I, I was cutting up the beets, and so my hands are, like, just fucking red and pink. And I was, like, chasing the kids with my murder <laughs> hands because that's what I do. They won't need therapy or anything. Uh, I'm surprised that you will chase the kids with your murder hands after you accidentally called 911 on your phone while chasing the kids around playing water balloons. Yeah, I know. That's true. But yeah. it's it's fine. It's Fine. <laughs> Just the phone picks up you yelling around, go, going, I'm going to get you with my murder hands. Right. <laughs> or the neighbor hearing it and just calling the cops on me is also a possibility. <laughs> I'm such a normal person, guys. Everybody knows it. Absolutely. Yes. 100% normal. You are the most average normal person I've ever met. She said, fixing her hair. <laughs> So, all right. Well, that is uh, the last full size ish. Yeah, we're close to an hour. Episode for fun size. Yeah, before our little vacation. If you're missing all the extra content, you know, if you're you're jonesing for some more old timey crimey, now would be a really great time. Actually, July first would be a really good time. But this might publish around then. Anyhow, I can't remember. <laughs> edit, <laughs> edit, 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 no. edit. Uh. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, Christy killed me. <laughs> it's all my fault. Christy and her murder hands. She'll never get to try my snappy salad. Oh, darn. But you should come over to patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey and just binge the heck out of everything and enjoy it because we've got lots of fantastic content over there that you've never heard and you should. You should. It's some of our best work. And then you'll also get a shout out when we come back from our little vacation. So Absolutely. Do it. So uh, the next couple of weeks, you'll have a little bit of content, and then we'll be back in uh, two weeks after that, or two weeks we'll, after this. Be, we'll be back I don't know eventually. what time is. We for, we, okay, so at this point, we don't know what day it is. We don't know what month it is. We don't know how to read calendars. We, we need a fucking we, vacation. We definitely don't know when this actual episode is airing. No idea. <laughs> no clue whatsoever. We're going to roll a dice, and then you'll get to hear it, and that's what's going to happen. So, like, you're hearing from past us, future you. And we'll see what happens. I think with 
future you hearing past us, there's probably going to be like a rip in the space-time continuum, but that's okay because then maybe we can harness that into our time machine and go back and slap Alexander Meyer silly. Yeah, and I'm going to listen to this so that past me is talking to future me and hopefully that will open up a wormhole. There we go. Yeah. All right. I need a tagline. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Um, something from the episode. You obviously don't hit girls with cars. Do you have anything? So how about um, don't try to say that your license plate ripped somebody's clothes clean off. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, maybe don't go around telling tales like that. That literally no one is going to believe because that's not how uh, physics work. Nope, not at all. So, all right. Thank you for listening and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Sources. Oh, yes, sources. My sources this week are Find a Grave and from newspapers.com. Thank you, Chris Garcia, the Lancaster New Era, the Los Angeles Evening Citizen, Letro Bulletin, Intelligence or Journal, The Mercury, and The Daily American. My sources this week were New York Daily News by Mara Bobson, findagrave.com, newspapers.com. Thank you, Chris Garcia. Wilkes-Bear Times Leader, The Evening Sun, The Intelligencer Journal, The Daily American, The Philadelphia Inquirer, The Standard Speaker, and The Mercury. All right. Put that damn cat in the tub. <laughs> the germs. The germs. He really got his hopes up with that. He wanted to go outside. See, he started walking towards the, back, the, the deck door. And then I got partway there and I checked in that his food was there. He's got food. And so I turned around and started walking back. And he's standing in the sun porch. And I see him through like one of the windows in the door. He's just staring at me like... You bitches have been in there long enough. (laughs) It's time to go outside so I can try to jump over the damn gate. All right. And we're back.